Well, this is our fourth episode of MO Forum, and it's on the very topical issue of climate change and the new government's moves to uh, rescind the price on carbon that the Gillard government put in place. I want to start the forum today by reading from a document very briefly, and it says, Significant climate change could, within the lifespan of today's children, raise sea levels, leading to flooding of coastal cities and plains, and make low-lying islands uninhabitable. It could change the distribution and availability of freshwater resources, alter natural ecosystems, and accelerate the extinction of plant and animal species, change energy use patterns, and it could change the productivity and distribution of agricultural lands. Now, for people these days, that's not really a remarkable set of statements, but what is remarkable about it is that those statements were contained in this document, that is, a statement on the environment, our country, our future, by the Australian Government under Bob Hawke's Prime Ministership back in 1989. That's how long the discussion at the government level on climate change has been going. And indeed, this statement, amongst other commitments, said that Australia will continue to give the International Panel on Climate Change strong support. Well, we really haven't come so far, have we? Because, again, we're in a debate about whether climate change is real, whether it's uh, caused by human activity, and we've still got a very large number of doubters, not only in the broader community and internationally, but within the present government. Uh, and this, I think, goes to the heart of the problem. We are told that um, there is no consensus on climate change. We are told uh, for example, by the current Prime Minister, that the idea that the science on global warming and climate change is settled is absolute crap. Well, what do we need? Uh, if I can draw an analogy with a debate that went on for decades about the harmful effects of smoking, there is a consensus that smoking is harmful to human health. But it is possible, even to this day, to find some people who raise doubts about whether smoking is harmful to human health. Does that mean there is no consensus and therefore the science of smoking and its impact on human health is not yet settled? Of course it doesn't. There will always be some people who have a dissenting view. That of itself is not a bad thing. But for politicians to say that no action is warranted or very feeble action is warranted because there's not yet a consensus on climate change, is simply to shirk its responsibilities, not only to the present generation, but to future generations. And this question about whether the science is in fact settled, I think uh, is answered quite comprehensively in the most recent International Panel on Climate Change report, which is the fifth report. Again, just bear with me, I'll read some pertinent conclusions. This is from a huge body of scientific research and a huge number of contributors, scientific contributors. It says, amongst other things, this. Warming of the climate system is unequivocal. The atmosphere and ocean have warmed. 
the amounts of snow and ice have diminished, sea level has risen, and the concentrations of greenhouse gases have increased. Well, that doesn't sound equivocal to me. Uh, this is a consensus view of all those who have contributed to this process. It goes on to say, the rate of sea level rise since the mid-19th century has been larger than the mean rate during the previous two millennia. Two millennia, not 20 years, not 200 years, but two millennia. It says the atmospheric concentration of carbon dioxide, methane and nitrous oxide have increased to levels unprecedented in at least the, uh, the last 800,000 years. Now, surely by now policymakers would be getting concerned that this is the worst or greatest concentration in 800,000 years. But no, they're waiting for further scientific research, it seems. It goes on to conclude it's extremely likely that human influence has been the dominant cause of the observed warming since the mid-20th century. In fact, the probability that the panel places on that is 95%. So what are we waiting for the other 5% before deciding whether to do anything? And finally, amongst many other conclusions, these are the ones I've picked out, it says most aspects of climate change will persist for many centuries, even if emissions of CO2 are stopped. This represents a substantial multi-century climate change commitment created by past, present and future emissions of CO2. So here we have a massive issue of intergenerational equity, that the activities of humans based on a fossil fuel economy uh, that only really started in the 1700s is going to have such lasting effects that it will go through four centuries, even if uh, there are effective measures put in place in the not-too-distant future. Now, some people would say, well, that's it, it's all over. Whatever effects are going to occur are already locked in, so we should do nothing. Well, that is, again, the easy way out. Um, I'm asked by people, isn't there natural climate change? Of course there's natural climate change. The climate changes uh, from time to time. We have you know, periods of global warming, periods of global cooling, and before the Andrew Bolts of the world jump onto that and say, therefore, Craig Emerson has admitted um, that there is no such thing as human-induced climate change or that this is un not unusual. It is unusual because it is human activity that has created a, a, an impact that has not been seen in this world uh, for, in some cases, 800,000 years or more. So surely we have a moral responsibility to the future generations and to the planet. Now, some people would argue that the planet is big enough and old enough to look after itself. I think there's something in that argument. There will still be a planet. There will still be a planet, irrespective of whether we uh, engage in climate mitigation strategies or not. But what sort of planet will it be? Are we comfortable with... Uh, the extinction of even more and more species? Are we comfortable um, with the impact on human life of uh, more floods, more bushfires, more cyclones and tornadoes? Uh, some people are, they just say, well, that's life. Well, I say that's death. There's death to people in low-lying areas unless they can find uh, other places to um, 
uh, form a, a new country or, or to go to other countries. These are serious impacts and to trivialise them is again to shirk political responsibility. Now the history, going back to 1989, of climate change policy in Australia is a sad history. You see, there was a lot of discussion after 1989 and obviously before that led to um, leaders such as Bob Falk and Paul Keating uh, indicating that policies were needed and indeed research was funded. Um, Professor John Hewson became the opposition leader after the 1990 election. Professor John Hewson believes that uh, though he's in the Liberal Party and was the head of the Liberal Party, that action on climate change is essential. Then we had a fairly conservative Prime Minister in John Howard. Now John Howard actually designed an emissions trading scheme. It was all set out in great detail and Howard said that if he was re-elected in 2007, he would go ahead with an emissions trading scheme. That is, take very real action on climate change and indeed Mr Howard said we should not be waiting for the world, we should not be waiting for other countries in the region to act, we should get out in front. That was the Howard view. Then uh, we had uh, Kevin Rudd became the Prime Minister and Kevin Rudd sought to implement a carbon pollution reduction scheme which I'll describe shortly. Uh, and the opposition leader, Brendan Nelson, believed for a while at least that something needed to be doing done about climate change. Certainly his successor, Malcolm Turnbull, was a leading advocate, a leading advocate of an emissions trading scheme to deal with climate change, a leading advocate. And in fact, the current Prime Minister was a supporter of the emissions trading scheme. He was a supporter of a carbon tax. And now he says that both of those have to be abolished, have to be abolished. So it is a sad history and the history uh, of more modern times is that a carbon pollution reduction scheme was being implemented by Prime Minister Rudd. There was an arrangement that was struck with the Liberal Party led by Malcolm Turnbull which cost him the leadership. It cost him the leadership because he wanted to stick with the deal with the Labor government uh, to implement a, an emissions trading scheme and he was defeated by one vote on that very issue. Then um, Kevin Rudd abandoned the carbon pollution reduction scheme. Julia Gillard became Prime Minister after the 2010 election. Julia Gillard said that she would put a price on carbon and finally the Greens uh, came to their senses as, after having said that they would block the carbon pollution reduction scheme because it wasn't good enough, did not meet their high standards, so they preferred nothing at all. They did come on board after the 2010 election and so a, an emissions trading scheme with a three-year fixed price was implemented and legislated uh, through uh, guidance of Julia Gillard and Greg Combay in particular. Now, I keep talking about an emissions trading scheme and I need to explain what that is and what a carbon tax is just after I scratch my nose. That's done. So uh, the idea of an emissions trading scheme is called cap and trade but the idea is that a government sets an overall cap, an overall cap on the um, total emissions of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. 
that then uh, creates uh, the value in having a, ca a capacity to admit, you know, we can't just stop emissions overnight. There would be a catastrophic effect on the economy, on jobs, uh, and basically the lights would go out just to add a few effects. So the idea is to cap it and reduce it over time. Once it's capped, then businesses have to buy permits to emit carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. Um, what they can then use those permits to emit, but if some of the businesses that buy it come up with new technologies and practices such that they don't need those permits anymore, but another business does need uh, permits to emit because it's just been established or it's expanding, then that business can buy the permits from the first business that now has surplus permits. That's the trading part. That's the emissions trading part. So there's the cap and then the permits and then the emissions trading going on underneath that. Now, in Australian politics, there's been this huge debate about the difference between the carbon pollution reduction scheme that uh, Prime Minister Rudd implemented and the scheme that Julia Gillard implemented. Prime Minister Rudd's scheme was an emissions trading scheme with one year of a fixed price. So the government announced what the price would be in the first year and after that it floats so that you get this trading activity. Julia Gillard announced the same scheme but with three years of a fixed price. So three years of fixed price, then full trading uh, and emissions trading scheme. The first one implemented by Prime Minister Rudd was called an emissions trading scheme. The second one implemented by Prime Minister Gillard was called a carbon tax. And so the opposition, now the government, said, we're totally against a carbon tax. Now, there, apparently there's some huge difference between an emissions trading scheme with one year fixed price and emissions trading scheme with three years of a fixed price. I think that difference is two years. But no, it's this terrible, terrible carbon tax that is going to be repealed uh, by Mr Abbott if he can get his way through the Australian Senate. Now, where are we at this point in time? Mr Abbott and the coalition government have said that they will introduce a repeal bill that's already been written and they'll introduce that this year before the Christmas break. And they are demanding that the Senate pass that bill. Well, I'm not a senator, but I do know what the Senate tends to do when it gets complex legislation, and that is puts it off to an inquiry and it makes sure that there is a sense of what the impacts of implementing that legislation will be, not only on the environment, but on businesses that already hold these permits or have bought permits for the future. What happens to them? Now, it seems to me that just based on the behaviour of the Senate, it will refer this to an inquiry. Nevertheless, the Coalition is saying you must pass this bill before Christmas. There, is, there will be a new Senate come into place on the 1st of July, 2014. It has a different composition. At the moment, Labor and the Greens can effectively prevent the legislation passing. After the 1st of July 2014, uh, the Greens will lose the balance of power and it will go to a total of eight 
right of centre senators, senators um, four of those from the Palmer United Party. Now, Clive Palmer has said that he will uh, agree to remove the uh, carbon price, the carbon tax, the emissions trading scheme, whatever you want to call it, but he wants it removed retrospectively so that he can get paid or compensated for the money that he has already paid as the owner of a large business. So we'll see what happens after 1 July 2014. For my part, I think that uh, it's imperative that the Labor Party do what it said it would do at the last election and subsequently, and that is to resist the removal of the emissions trading scheme. We're in a world now where other countries are implementing these emissions trading schemes. Europe's had one for a long time. There are now uh, 10 states of the United States that have emissions trading schemes. The Conservatives uh, in Australia say, well, Bar Barack Obama doesn't have an emissions trading scheme. The fact is he can't get it through Congress. He can't get it through Congress. They have indicated time and time again that a market-based solution is the way to go. So in the meantime, states are going ahead with it. In China, at least five cities are now setting up emissions trading regimes. So there are other countries in our own region going in that direction. And where is Australia going? Backwards. As fast as we possibly can. As fast as we possibly can. So what I'm saying is that we should not let this happen. Uh, if the will of the Senate is to pass it, maybe there's nothing we can do about that. But those on the progressive side of politics, in my strong view, should resist, should vote against the repeal of the emissions trading scheme because we will be betraying future generations and the planet, and the planet, if we were to change our position. Now, I see there's a, a game of semantics going on at the moment where on the Labor side, that Labor is saying, we agree we'll get rid of the carbon tax, but we want it replaced by an emissions trading scheme. Well, for goodness sake, it always was an emissions trading scheme with three years of a fixed price. It's got one year to go. So come on, let's not try to win this on the basis of semantics. Let's try to win this as an argument within the broader community about our responsibility, not only now, but to the generations to come. It is unfair on future generations to allow these sorts of impacts to occur uh, and just say, well, we just want slightly lower electricity prices and we don't care about the future. Progressives should care about the future. Now I'm going to respond to a number of your questions. There were um, several questions that are very similar in nature, so it's probably best for me to pick one or two of those out on a particular theme and then do my best to respond to them. I'm asked uh, to start, uh, and this is um, uh, from a, a question from a fellow who I know on Twitter who, uh, on the conservative side of politics, but it's a fair enough question. Uh, and he says, does all climate change have a negative impact on Australia and the world? No, it doesn't. It doesn't because it means that there will be shifting patterns of rainfall. And it could mean that some of the drier areas of Australia become wetter. That's true. Uh, it could mean that some of the drier areas of the world become wetter. 
but I don't know that that then justifies you know, increased uh, bushfire activity, increased tornadoes, rising sea levels, inundation of uh, the small Pacific Island countries, just because we might, in some parts of Australia, in some parts, uh, have more rainfall than currently exists. But it's a fair enough question, and I thank um, Peter from Hay for asking it. I'm asked uh, by uh, at Roosh, is there really a climate change? Is climate change really man-made? Are we just short-sighted and it's inevitable? Well, the jury is out and it's back in. Climate change is real. Climate change caused by human activity is real. Yes, as I said earlier, the climate has always changed on Earth. There you go, big concession to Andrew Bolt. But what's happening is that we have human-induced climate change which is going to have, uh, according to all the scientific evidence, ca catastrophic effects. And indeed, in the last, um, I think in the last month in Sydney was the hottest on record. That doesn't prove anything of itself, but the last decade has been the hottest on record. You start getting concerned. The last three decades have been especially hot compared with previous decades. You get more concerned. So this is not just something that's off into the future. There is evidence and scientific opinion by reputable scientists saying we are already experiencing the impacts of human-induced climate change. I'm asked, how does one convince the doubters, especially those in position of power, of the science behind climate change? Well, the truth is, if people don't want to be convinced, they won't be convinced. They will wait for that one scientist left on Earth, and they, they will say, that scientist is reputable, and that scientist has got it right, and everyone else has got it wrong. So I think at some point, you just have to recognise that some people have as an article of faith what they can claim as an article of faith on the part of people who say there is a problem with climate change and their article of faith is there isn't. They want to believe there isn't. They want to believe it's an international conspiracy. They want to believe it's all being orchestrated by one world government and it's all a lefty uh, conspiracy against um, capitalism, all this sort of rubbish that is... Pebble. But when you've got people like that who say that sort of thing, I don't think they're going to change their minds. What we need to do is continue to work with the Australian community who do believe that there is such a thing as human-induced climate change. Uh, and we, we just must not give up on this and succumb to the short-term political expedience of simply saying, well, other countries haven't done it to the full extent that we want them to do it, therefore we're going to abandon our emissions trading scheme. I'm asked by Kate Perry, what do you feel is the major hurdle in getting widespread action on climate change in Australia? Is there any way you can see around it? You are the way I can see around it. People who are watching and listening to this podcast, this has to be community-based and it has to continue to grow in terms of people's acceptance that there is a real problem here, not just in the future, but right here in the here and now. The effects of climate change, according to reports from the World Bank, for example, are being felt right now. I'm asked, uh, is Tony Abbott's direct action plan really a great big new tax on everything? Well, in truth, it is. Uh, direct action, I think, is um, something like $3.2 billion. It will not. It will not and cannot achieve what it's supposed to be the bipartisan commitment to a 5% reduction in emissions by 2020 on 2,000 levels. If this problem could be solved 
by a $3.2 billion uh, government expenditure. We would have done it long ago. It's a farce. The direct action program of the coalition is a centrally planned command and control system, not a market-based system. And see the irony here? You've got the coalition, which is supposed to be for markets, who are completely against a market-based system, but in completely in favour, they say, of a command and control system like the old Soviet Russia, where they will decide um, what goes on in the community and who gets subsidies and benefits uh, paid by the taxpayer, paid by the taxpayer. So here you have Labor believing in markets and the coalition believing in a, a centrally planned command and control system, totally ineffectual. The fact is that the, uh, the, the fiscal people within the coalition have said 3.2 billion is all you're going to get to spend. Greg Hunt is the new environment minister says that's a remarkable coincidence because that's all I need to get emissions down uh, to that um, bipartisan commitment to a 5% reduction by 2020. Happy coincidence, isn't it? Okay, next question. As one of the richest countries in the world, doesn't Australia have an obligation to cut emissions deepest and fastest? Well, I'd be happy if Australia accepted an obligation to cut emissions at all. I mean, you've got to start somewhere. And it is true that not all countries are signed up to reducing carbon emissions, but people have said China's not doing anything. It's completely false. China is greatly reducing the emissions intensity of its, of its uh, manufacturing operations. It is greatly uh, now pulling back on the use of coal in electricity generation, partly because of the particulates in the air and the air pollution, but also because of its impact on um, carbon dioxide emissions into the atmosphere. So other countries are moving. I want to see Australia move. I want to see Australia continue with the emissions trading scheme that we've got and be part of an international scheme so we get the best um, emissions reduction technologies right around the world. And this is what Greg Combe had uh, been doing, and that is link our emissions trading scheme with Europe's to start with. And then over time, there would be more emissions trading schemes around the world. And instead of having just the Australian market seeking out the best technologies in Australia and the best mitigation strategies, you'd have a global market. That's what we were working towards in government. Um, then I've got a question uh, which says, alarmist statements regarding Warragamba Dam will never fill. Do they help or hinder the cause? Well, I, I think genuinely alarmist statements um, don't help the cause, um, particularly if every bit of um, uh, weather, every weather event is put down to dangerous climate change, there is variability in the weather. There's no doubt about that uh, here in Canberra. Two of my tomato bushes have just died. Why? Because, well, there are terrible bushfires only a few hundred kilometres away. There was a frost uh, overnight in Canberra. I'll get over it. It's fine. But the point is, um, there is variability in the weather. We know that always has been. But this is a really big problem that needs a really big solution. And that's what we're talking about, putting in place a really big solution. Simply making alarmist statements doesn't help, but there's plenty to be alarmed about. There's plenty to be alarmed about. As I indicated earlier, this is not something that's just off into the never-never that we can close our eyes and, and just hope that someone else would think about. It's happening right now and we have that obligation, not only now, but to future generations. I'm asked by Dr. Rimmer 
And, and I point out, he did ask a number of questions and I thank him, but I can't answer them all. What should we do about people displaced by the impacts of climate change? Well, it seems that a number of our Pacific Island neighbours are uh, very likely uh, to experience that fate. It's a terrible outcome for them. Um, and they're not the only uh, part of the world that is going to be displaced. I mean, think of low-lying areas, for example, in Bangladesh, just by way of example. Well, again, this is a great humanitarian task. I mean, it's not just, you know, people whose homes will go underwater. It'll, it's people who will experience the devastating effects of more floods and more cyclones and tornadoes. Uh, and we have a human, a human uh, obligation to uh, our brothers and sisters around the world to do whatever we can to assist them, you know, into more, more safe uh, physical environments. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, the truth is most of the um, uh, emissions of carbon dioxide have been by developed countries and so through our aid programs uh, we need to contribute. It's true now that China is emitting more, uh, quite a lot more, but it's got its own foreign aid programs and so obviously those programs need to be very, very well tuned to the fact that there will be a lot of displaced people in the coming decades. The Australian Conservation Foundation has asked a fascinating question and is this, if you could start again, how would you tackle Australia's pollution reduction obligations? Well, I think what we would do is um, essentially what has been attempted. The, the most effective way of dealing with this is an emissions trading scheme, a cap and trade scheme. There's no real disagreement on that. In truth, there's no disagreement. Malcolm Turnbull fervently believes in an emissions trading scheme. Greg Hunt actually wrote his thesis on uh, emissions trading and carbon tax, uh, not carbon taxes, but pollution taxes. They actually believe this stuff. Tony Abbott, I'm not sure about because Mr. Abbott has actually said, you know, the thing about carbon dioxide is that it's colourless, odorless and weightless. Well, how do you reduce, under the direct action plan, the incidence of a weightless gas in the atmosphere by 160 million tonnes? If it doesn't weigh anything, you can't produce it by 160 million tonnes. So I'm not sure about the Prime Minister, whether he actually believes in an emissions trading scheme. He's described himself as a weather bane on this issue. They see where the wind's blowing and then respond. Well, the wind was blowing in favour of um, getting rid of the so-called carbon tax, uh, and so that's what they're seeking to do. Um, but if I were starting again, I would start again with an emissions trading scheme. Uh, whether it's one year or three years, doesn't really matter. And we shouldn't get caught up again in the semantics of whether a one year or a three year fixed price permit is a carbon tax. It's the emissions trading scheme and it is the most efficient and effective way of reducing carbon emissions into the atmosphere. So I think Probably rather than go on, if I um, have uh, covered the field reasonably well and have uh, answered the sorts of questions that have been kindly asked by people through Twitter and um, on the Facebook account, uh, then uh, that's what I'd like to believe I have done. I have been asked by my son Tom to raise this issue, and that is if you would consider leaving a rating and review on the podcast in iTunes, that would help. That would help us in promoting MA Forum, 
I hope you've enjoyed MO Forum. Uh, we will continue on pretty controversial subjects, but if I've been in any way helpful in advancing progressive thinking on the issue of climate change today, I've done a reasonable job. I hope I have, and thank you for listening. Goodbye.